It's time for Bourbon with Friends, the bourbon podcast that never takes itself too seriously. Pull up a chair, grab a glass, and remember, a bourbon with friends can change the world. Here we go. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Bourbon with Friends. Today, uh, we have some very special guests with us. Uh, we have the CEO of BR Distilling and the uh, PR Marketing Manager, uh, also of BR Distilling, uh, Macaulay uh, Williams and Kelly O'Shea. How are you guys doing? Doing well, thanks. So we are really excited to dig into this tonight because we've We've seen a lot of stuff uh, about Blue Note. Um, obviously, Blue Note is uh, BR Distilling produces Blue Note. Disclaimer, in case you guys didn't really know that by now. Um, and so we haven't dug into it yet because we like to do the whole initial yeah. first response. Right, AJ? I've always seen the bottle and I've wanted to ju- just buy one and take a chance on it. But there's just so many different choices that I usually sometimes stick with my regulars or what we always have. So I'm excited to get dig into these jc jc's just eyeing one because he sees these two that he really wants to try <laughs> yeah I've, like aj i've seen i've seen it before and i haven't bought it yet and then when i was going to i found out that you're all going to be on the show so i was like i'm just gonna wait <laughs> well before we try this macaulay why don't you tell us a little bit about your background uh like what what's kind of your whiskey journey that led you to this point of uh of running a uh, whiskey company yeah. Um, well, thanks for having me on. This is sure. exciting. So I am a recovering attorney. I used to practice <laughs> mergers and acquisitions law. Uh, now I'm in the whiskey business. So uh, one of my clients uh, was a vodka distillery here in Memphis, and it was sort of a failure to launch story. Great guys, uh, a lot of support, but um, due to a number of reasons, it just kind of kind of didn't did not go very successfully upon launch and. Uh, there were some of my friends and they came to me for some legal help uh, in terms of like unwinding the business and, and what their legal rights were in their, to their investors and all of that. And I got involved and started thinking, man, this is pretty cool. Like I hate, I hate this for them that this isn't working out from the vodka distilling perspective, but this whole craft distilling thing's pretty cool. Here's a distillery that's about to be sold for pennies on the dollar. Um, I'm going to help these guys uh, out. And then I just kept, thinking back, man, what if somebody could recapitalize this thing and, and get the hell away from vodka and into whiskey, which I found Preach. to be inher- inherently more interesting. Yeah. Vodka is great on a hot summer day by the pool, I guess, but we're in, we're from Tennessee and whiskey just seemed to make a whole lot more sense. And then of course we've all seen what's going on from like a business perspective, just with the bourbon boom, it seemed to mm-hmm. make sense. Hey, we might yeah. be able to actually start a business here and uh, people might follow it, you know, because there's craft bourbons, small batch releases, limited releases that are popular. It's not like vodka where you have to be this huge behemoth national brand. So anyways, that took about a year. Uh, and then I ended up buying out the distillery with some uh, of my clients slash former law partners. And then I quit practicing law to to run the distillery, just kind of on this notion of we're going to buy this distillery on the cheap and then kind of figure it out as we go. Um, like a great idea. It's a great I, <laughs> I drank, you know, plenty growing up and that way too young of an age, um, <laughs> always liked whiskey, but wasn't, I was more partial to just anything that would get me there fast. Um, 
but then kind of yeah. and once I became a lawyer and in law school, I started to kind of get into whiskeys. Um, and I remember in law school when I would study, you know, after I would you know drink however many cups of coffee to stay up all night studying, I would have, you know, a glass of whiskey. It kind of became a tradition to try a new bottle and became part of my study routine. Like I'd just go into, you know, hiding where I'm just cramming and studying drinking caffeine and energy drinks. And then I'd have a bottle of whiskey for it at the end of every night to come down kind of from that caffeine high. And then lo and behold, I started to like it. You know, as I started it, just I figured it was something a proper Southern lawyer should do. <laughs> whiskey, right. It just seemed, just seemed right. like my life minus the studying and lawyer part. Well, I mean, you were studying <laughs> a lot this weekend. I was crammed. At that but uh, <laughs> I'm not talking about this weekend. <laughs> But it, yeah, it really just started out of a, um, seeing an opportunity and I kind of had a passion and the passion grew. It wasn't the passion first. So it was the opportunity, uh, led me to further explore, uh, a small passion that I had that became a much bigger one. So, um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, that, that was four years ago. So we're kind of, you know, pretty deep into it now. We're still new in the grand scheme of things, but, um, it's hard to believe. It feels like forever ago. It feels like I was a different person then. And, you know, Kelly's been with us for a couple of years and it, it's, it's just amazing when you look at the timeline. It's like, wow, she hasn't been on the team that long. Wow. We haven't been around that long, but since it's become our life, it seems like forever ago, you know? Yeah. Um, it, you learn a lot hands on four years too. There's, you can pick up more stuff doing that than they're ever going to teach you in class or. A, yeah. That's right. That's right. Anything. That's Reading right. And research is one thing. Doing is a whole different thing. Then you're like, okay, can't. Cause they can tell you that. to mix the corn in this way and distill it that way. And then when you do it, you taste it. You're like, well, that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and I will say people have asked like how I learned about the business and the industry. And it, the business is definitely just trying to figure it out as we go and learning on the spot. But there's so much rich bourbon history, as we know, and the, the history is so relevant to today, you know, whether that be, the genesis of bourbon making here in the United States, uh, how it got its name, what the legal classification is, the history of the legendary distillers and brands. Prohibition obviously has left a lasting mark. Yep. So right out of the gate, I just bought every book I could and read them and read every blog post and tried to listen to podcasts. And, you know, it's amazing how much you can learn from that. You know, so for folks out there that just want to dive in head first, you can do a lot of it just from home. It's definitely a hobby that people are very passionate about. And they read about it as often as they can and research. So yeah, like you said, podcasts and books and just it's easy to dive in and get enjoy it because you actually get to taste what you're reading while it's going on. My favorite thing about it is the history of bourbon is effectively American history. So yep. the book, you know, it's just from a different perspective than you learned back in you know, grade school or high school about US history, but from the bourbon lens, it kind of touched every important chapter and had a key role in every important chapter in American history. And I've always thought that was just fascinating. Yeah. Bur bourbon was the first thing that made you put a label on and say what it was actually inside. So. And I won't, I won't say that George. Oh, Washington. please. <laughs> Did you know that George Washington, <laughs> the 17th podcast that we've had it. It's like, yeah, oh, shit. Guess what? George Washington. As soon as you said history, I was like, great. And everyone that listens to our podcast is like, I'm going to hear about George Washington more GD time. Here comes. We can get a little clock that ticks down. Like Paul says, George Washington in five. Right. Hit the button. All right, sorry, we signed out there. Let's uh, dive, let's dive into this. Kelly, tell, hold on. Okay. We're gonna like we need to hear from Kelly. We need to know well, your whiskey story. Like, how did you get involved with this, and what made you decide? Oh, I want to work in the whiskey industry. 
Yeah. So I have a tech background and I was with a startup software company. Um, I started in a serious engineering role and kind of pushed my way forward to um, marketing and Marcom events management and all that and realized I really like that side of it. And then I was actually in Memphis visiting my sister who lived there. And I got a call from a corporate recruiter that found my LinkedIn and asked if I was interested in a startup whiskey business, which that word scares me quite a bit. But um, I was like, hey, it sounds like a... Yeah, sounds like an opportunity. So I met with Macaulay and team at the time and was super impressed by their business plan and what they had going. And when I got to actually see the warehouse and distillery, I was because supply and demand is a huge concern. So mm-hmm. put a little piece there. So I signed on and I actually was on the sales team. Um, and then in, I guess it was a year ago in May, I transferred over into marketing, which is kind of more my niche. Um, still fun. I still work on the distributor level a lot. I work with our sales force a lot. I'm actually in Nashville right now, um, working with our regional guy here. So it's, it's good. Um, it's fun. It still doesn't feel like work. So I have, um, my background's always been tequila. I had a really bad experience with Wild Turkey 101. Never thought I would go near whiskey or, anything like that again, but here we are and I've learned to love it. So So before we kind of like dive into this, you guys have almost have like a little cult following already. Um, You know, we heard about you guys before we really knew about you guys, if that makes sense. Um, You know, you started seeing these pictures of this bottle and people were like, I am so excited. I found this and I'll, and and it's like, you had people creating a buzz about you all before you even needed to create a buzz. Tell me a little bit about how that that's been right. That little journey of, of that and, and kind of taking off in where people are so much looking forward to finding your stuff. Yeah. I'll jump in here being a startup. You know, we don't have the huge marketing budgets that the big guys have that we would love to have one day. So we had to be really creative on our outreach program and really grassroots found some what some folks term influencers. I don't love that term. We call it kind of the fourth tier. And I like to call you all the educators because you're the ones out there doing the research, finding the product, spreading the word. So to us, you're the most valuable tier of it, at least in my eyes. So I hooked up with a lot of the the kind of up and coming like Bourbon Alliance. We tagged um, with them very early on when I think there were like seven or eight members um, and just really got the liquid ellipse uh, virtually since with, you know, unprecedented times, we didn't have the joy of tastings and all the the conventional ways we were doing it in the past. We had to get very creative and Instagram was our dear friend and we've just really organically grown. Same thing. Every new product, we kind of had a test base of consumers, influencer, educators, um, same thing with the crossroads. And then as this past year has kind of progressed, we've done very well with some awards. We've had some great accolades in press, did great at San Francisco. So the folks that were always kind of blue note and river set evangelists now are like, guys, this is what I've been talking about. You know, see, it's kind of the credibility there behind it. So it's been great. We've had uh, features in food and wine, Rob report. Um, we have an upcoming uh, feature in Rolling Stone for our crossroads. So it's just kind of keeping that focus on the brands and the folks behind it and the consumer at you all's level that really helps put our name out there. 
which is kind of genius if you actually think about it because – go ahead, AJ. Oh, well, I was going to say from the marketing point of it that I absolutely love and it drew my attention to it is a lot of people try to play with the stories or they have this name that's tied to it that isn't always a brand that was associated or the whole thing. But you all embody the history and everything of Memphis in that area, the blues, like – I mean, if I had to guess, it looks like a Gresh guitar head and the U on your logo and looks like a Gresh hollow body, you know, the, with the scroll work on the there and juke joint, you've got crossroads. So yeah, you, you, you all adopted the at. whole mi- Memphis. And, yeah. And you're That's fine right. with being your own thing and you're not trying to jump onto a bandwagon. And I really love that whole part of everything I see in it. So which one we started with so here first? Walk us through a little bit about this. So this is um, this is Juke Joint. This is your kind of like your flagship product, right? It is. Or it's become the easiest that, one too. to find. <clears throat> yeah, it's become our leading seller. So um, like AJ was saying, um, we do focus on Memphis themes. We feel like the blues is a broader theme, touches on whiskey history just from the fact that every good blues song mentions whiskey and Can't have blues and, uh, whiskey. and it's just something that people, there's some other music themed brands, but they're kind of broader or more rock and roll. And yeah. we felt that that was our area's biggest contribution to American culture was music, which started with the blues and that there was a clear tie into whiskey. <laughs> and so with the juke joint, for those that don't know, first off a blue note in music is the musical note that makes blues a unique genre yep. of music. Juke joints are where, uh, the blues was pioneered and where the blues was born. And so with our flagship uh, blue note juke joint, it's a Kentucky bourbon that we age for a year in Kentucky and then bring down to Memphis and finish its aging here. And we blend and bottle everything on site here in Memphis bottled at 93 proof Uh, MSRP is around give or take a couple of dollars of $30. So we're trying to be very reasonable and affordable with this product. Um, Minimum age of three. Um, it's a 70, 21, nine mash bill. So a little higher rye. Everything seems to be drifting a little higher rye when it comes to the rye based. It's, bourbon. it's, it's got that sweet, that corn sweet to it. Like you can, it, it's the one thing that hits me. You said they're all about three years, <clears throat> three to four. Um, yeah. it's definitely approachable, never chill filtered. Okay. That's, that's a good thing. I don't like, like that's, that's a big difference yeah. in most whiskeys. So how long did you age it in Memphis? So two years, two years in Memphis. Okay. 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 Good. 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 And it's kosher. <laughs> it is kosher. Just throw that out there. Hey, that's a that's an interesting process. I won't go into it today, but I learned a lot through getting. Uh, it's it's, it's a whole process that people don't even know about. You just can't say kosher. There's, there's yeah. more steps to it than what people think. So I'm gonna say this, and I wonder what you guys think. It tastes almost like Mashville, but not bitter like Mashville. Like you, you're not like in a mash, but you get that like initial hit of sweet. It's, it's yeah. three years. So you're still going to get the, but you know what I'm the, saying? The like corn, it's got yeah, that no. sweet kick to you, it. You can taste a lot more of the grain. It's like w- that top part when it's still fermenting, you know, before it's really been distilled out. And then you get the oils. Cause it, to me with the oil, cause non chill filter, it lingers, which is good because it's what, this is like what 93 proof. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a lower proof. 
it for me anyway. It lower proof. It, yeah, it doesn't drink like a ninety three proof though. Okay, like so, it, it usually over here like ninety three is not a low proof. Guys. <laughs> yeah, well, isn't that funny? Well, how 90, that's 90 the proof and below usually kind of just disappears really fast. Like you drink it, it just kind of fades away to nothing. But one way to stop that is the non chill filter. So yeah. it just kind of lingers around, rolls around. I bet. You, have you tried water yet? I bet since non filter opened it up really good. No, I liked it. I liked it without the water. Well, try water. Well, we got four things to try. I'm going to be water. drunk before the end of the show. Okay, you want to do stuff different now? <laughs> so we like to say that this one is definitely good enough to be sipped neat or on the rocks, however you like it. But it also makes a great cocktail at that price point and age and proof. Um, it's great for home mixology. It's great for your mixologists or bartenders out there to play around with. Um, we sell this product in 15 states. This is the one that we are trying to develop as the backbone of our business. Um, it is crazy how 93 proof now, nowadays is considered a low proof when kind of maker's <laughs> mark used to hang its hat on, you know, the whole over 90 thing being higher proof than everybody else not too long ago. And then, um, like oh, wild, tur- not- wild turkey 101 was like considered like, whoo, that's some- yeah, right. The kick <laughs> yeah. And, chicken. And, and you've got now everyone's on a bottle and bond kick and everything. So you got so much at 100 proof and up now. Yeah. It's, it's, crazy. it's crazy how barrel proof and things like that are starting to really take off, isn't it? It, oh, it is. It's always been one of my favorites. So, I mean, me and JC are both b- big barrel proof nerds. So that's, that's why, I, like, cause I feel like that's the embodiment of how good something is. Cause that's what the product was. You know, I think it's two ways. So at, at cash strength or barrel proof, some show better and show the, will show their flaws without water. And then other whiskeys will show their flaws when you add water. So okay. they're pour, y'all, y'all are pouring the, the, the juke joint uncut now, which is the single barrel, yep. barrel proof or cash strength version. What's and the I think proof? it's going to vary barrel to barrel. Of course we do handwriting on each, uh, this each one's, of our uh, 119.4 because of the, the wide variability barrel to barrel, um, on that. But I think the Testament here is that it shows well at 93 and shows really well at cash strength or barrel proof. And they're, they're two totally different products based on those different proof points, not not just in proof, but in flavor, thickness. And I think both of these drink over their age and punch above their their price class. And that's kind of what we're all about is what was really the value. What was the price on the this one, the uncut? What did you say? The uncut's for? around 40 bucks. Oh, wow. That, that's a good that's price a good for a barrel, barrel proof. proof. That's a really good price. What do you think? You already tried it. Yes, I've already tried it. <laughs> it's 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 barrel proof whiskey. What do you mean? Yeah, I mean, I like this a lot better. It, <laughs> um, Which is not shocking, guys. No, but I mean, I would like the rye better. It's it's the same thing, but it's just amped up. I mean, the nose on it is kind of hits you right in the face. Everything you want. It's not as distant as it can be on this for me, at least. You know, it's not as sweet. It's not, but it also no. But I haven't tasted it. Yet. I'm talking oh. about the nose. I don't get the sweet. So it's I think the sweet. nose. I think the nose on this I like a little bit better. What's crazy is that 119 proof. How JC's favorite word smooth it is. There's not a hug there at 119, which is. I hate you. <laughs> I, am I wrong? No, there's. It's not a lot of heavy burn on the back end. So, so what did you do on this? Because I know a lot of 120 proof whiskeys you get a lot of burn on it and this one seems like it either i've burned my esophagus out or or it's really good um Maybe like did you guys do anything to like bring that out because there's it, it's it seems very 
is it purified is a good word to put it? I don't know, but it, it's very, it's very rich and, and tasty and it doesn't have that burn that most people don't like mm. in a whiskey. Sure. I'd like to emphasize one thing while we don't, uh, we're not distilling on site. We contract distill, mm-hmm. meaning that we have partners that we lay down new fill with and have had, uh, a lot of input over the entire process. And inv- we believe in investing in, in higher caliber oak than maybe the industry norm. I think that has a whole lot to do with it. You know, we all know yeah. the dramatic influence that a barrel will have, uh, which is longer air treated. Um, and we believe that that leads to a better output clearly on, on the end. And that's part of why the, the, the finish is so smooth, uh, and maybe lack of harshness if we don't like the word smooth. Um, and then it, it just speeds up the maturation <laughs> process, right? When you, when you invest in higher quality inputs, you're going to get a better output quicker. Okay. Um, and this was actually from a collapsed rickhouse. We had these barrels stored in, uh, our partner distillers. Rickhouse that collapsed in a uh, thunderstorm slash uh, the tailwinds of a not quite a tornado but a straight line wind. Um, so these are survivor barrels this year. Um, we're going to age some more up, but um, not all of our uncuts are survivor barrels. But it definitely adds to it. Jace, as JC takes the bottle and yeah. takes it away, he's like, "Well, that's going to go hide on the shelf." <laughs> so there's something JC JC is going to want to find a bottle of that unopened because he's got all these up here. Mm-hmm. That Love are it. like uh, you can never find anymore. Like weird, hard to find, yeah. discontinued bottles. But, but there's a note on this, and I want to see if JC gets it too, since you still have some. If you do like the Kentucky Chew and kind of swish it around, you get that rice spice, and it almost has that. And I don't mean it bad when I say this, but like kind of grassy bitterness to it, and that greenness to it, that I actually like because it kind of sets everything, balances it out. It's like on the sides of your tongue, you get a little bit of that rye, a little bit of hay. Hey, hey. hey. <laughs> you, you're right. You do get a little bit of the you do get a little yeah. bit of the hay at the back end. Yeah, I didn't see. Yeah, and then there's a little bit of rice spice to it, like on the sides. Yeah, I didn't even pick the hay up until you said it. It's like yeah. an oat or a hay. Like, yeah. yeah, it's just that green, like. But yeah, and it's a little bitter on the tail end. Yeah. Well, this product That's we good. do is single barrel store picks. Typically, some markets we do um, like distillery picks for the market. We even do micro blends under this label. So okay. retailers or markets can do, you know, three to six barrel blends of it. Our partner, just a uh, distributor in Nashville, Ajax Turner's done up their own blend. Uh, Store Busters here in Memphis did a three barrel blend. Um, so it, some great picks. I've had they quite do. a few things. Memphis is my halfway point between here and Dallas. So I always uh-huh. stop there, hit Beale Street, Silkies, and. Hit a few stores like Buster's. Well, and- come on by next time. We can drink yeah, some whiskey right Buster from the barrels. K- Kelly's yeah. recruiting us to make a trip to Memphis already. Don't worry. It, it's it's okay. like an every other week thing. It's I like, when are you coming to Memphis? I just want to see the ducks. Yeah. Come my on. Mom, every, every time we drive by, my mom always talked about the ducks and the Peabody. And finally, I was like, listen, I was like, if we eat at Silky's and hang out, I was like, about 20 minutes after, we can make it to the Peabody and see it. Sit there, watch. I kind of push so she gets up to the front and finally gets to see this. She's talked about for years and years. And she go. Then after they get get up, go into the elevator and go to the top. She goes, "That's it." <laughs> and I was like, "I want to sit." I was like, "The ducks, mom. What did you want them to do? Like, do a little song and dance? <laughs> like <laughs> it's something else. I got to tell you, but um, 
My we dad's talking about great barbecue too. So kind of part of our branding theme is blues, bourbon, and barbecue. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah we got a bunch of great hole in the wall spots here. Well, in the heritage you talk about, like one thing that blew me away, like my first time in Memphis is like some of those buildings on Beale street have, I mean, essentially burned down. There's been collapses, but and I don't know the exact law or if it's an official thing, but like the facades of what Beale Street looked like, there's some of them are just the front of it's being held up by beams yep. just to keep that same look like they're required to if they own that property, I guess. Yeah, it's silky. It's, it's got the big beams. Yeah. We're in the Blue Note Crossroads right now. So if you know anything about blues history and lore and legend, there's a famous legend at the crossroads where a very famous early blues pioneer sold his soul to the devil in exchange for blues playing ability. There he is, Mr. Robert Johnson. Yeah. Me and JC um, are huge into the blues history and all that. Love it. So that's, yeah. Yeah. So uh, this one is our toasted French oak finish. So we thought you have our crossroads, you know, the crossroads of course makes an X or a T and ours is a uh, sort of the crossing of the two staves, the American oak and the French oak, and it's toasted French oak too. So I know toasted oak's more and more popular, but um, we do a toasted French oak. I really like the influence that French oak in particular can add on a, on a whiskey. And then the toast, of course, just brings out a whole other level of depth and flavor. That, that nose hits you. That's a, yeah, that's got a flavorful nose. That's, that's got a really got a, good nose on it. Yep. It's at a hundred terms on my part. It's creamy. Yeah. It's a hundred proof. It's a hundred proof. Um, and it's unique, uh, to say the least, but I'd love to hear y'all's taste sense. You know, this is one of the first reviews I've ever done with anybody on. That's what I'm sipping on right now is our crossroads. I'm going to keep with the creamy. It's got a cream taste to it. And what is that note? That, uh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking there. It's, it, it's got to be the French oak. Well, yeah, the French oh. oak's going to make it have the... All right, on the back? or the It's toasted, right? You said toasted. Toasted The, the toasted oak. barrels are what's going to give you that All creamy... Right. On the back, vanilla. it tastes like cream soda. Like when you just orange let it sit soda. there... Wait. Mm-hmm. I, I can get orange peels. You get orange peels? Mm-hmm. You say you can... Let's see. AJ's awful quiet. I got orange yeah. peels too. Well, well I, I didn't get orange peels that you can, but I did not. I've recently had two different French oak bourbons, so that's what I'm actually trying to compare in my head to. So there's a uh, a very distinct flavor that the French oak will impart into a bourbon. Well, it's the um, toasted the part that I'm getting a lot of. It's the toasted brings out a lot more caramelization to the to the bourbons. It's going to caramelize the sugars a little bit more. Yeah, the toast mellow. is gonna is gonna bring out more of the sweetness, right, and that cream, yeah. and then the French oak's gonna add uh, a a baking spice array, you know. Yeah. And to um, jump on what Paul's saying, yeah, the cream part, like it, it it's amazing because it's it's like it's almost like a cream soda. I'm not yeah. getting the orange, but it's like a. It it's depends like a, on how I'm like trying to like fire my pack, well, my well, taste buds not up. Like, not like orange cream soda. No, no. he's talking like the root beer, like okay. obviously cream soda. Kind yeah, it's of like it's like a yeah. regular. Cream soda. It's, anybody from Canada, it's like you're all cream soda. All right, so it's interesting to me because I feel like it goes through like a couple different stages of flavor. Um, like initially, when you let it sit, it tastes like cream soda. Then the longer you let it sit there and don't drink something else, I, mean, I start to get that orange peel flavor. So it just hangs around like it's a la- It lasts. It it's lasts got a long finish, a long time. Like there's. There's a lot. There is a my. <laughs> here comes the fun word. Depth of flavor 
that uh, you really get with that that is very unique. There's a lot going on. It's it, almost like if you ate like a snickerdoodle and drank a cream, cream soda at the same time. Because you okay. have all that like There's some spice, that vanilla, cinnamony kind of. But yeah, no, this is good. What baking spice do you get? Just curious. Yeah, I mean, just a little hint of all of, all of them from from a little bit of cinnamon, allspice, um, nutmeg, and then there is like a we, we've described it as a toasted coconut or almond or toasted almond note on there a little the, bit too. I get the almond. I don't get yeah. coconut, but I get almond. I, yeah, I, I think, was thinking marshmallow, but it's not. You're right. I think some the marshmallow is one we've heard too. I think that's we're, everybody's describing that same flavor, whether it's a little more marshmallow, a little more coconut or almond. They're, they're, they're all actually, if you think about it, similar flavors. Um, but there, there is, whether it's cheesy or not, it is, it is a very rich and deep product. There's a lot of layers to it. It, it peels back nicely over ice. You really get, it changes a, dramatically with water. Yeah, it's a rich, like it's a thick, rich. It's probably, I'm guessing it's unfiltered too, right? Or unchilled. We don't, we don't filter uh, any of our products. Yeah. So you're right. It's got a real deep, rich, creamy. The, I want to say color on it is amazing. I want to say butterscotch kind of caramel butterscotch. I mean, that's kind of cliche yeah, when it all. comes to. I'm talking about the back end. Taste it. Switch around. I did. The back end is I'm still getting that cream soda orange peel. I would love to try that in an old fashioned. Yeah. Add a little water. We have we actually have not. We actually have not played around with this in cocktails yet. This is uh, like brand new. It's launching uh, in September. Um, I find too that it takes a second sip. That first sip is just such a unique taste that it takes your palate. It's, it's almost like a cash drink product in the sense your palate to acclimate for a second to handle all the different things. And that second sip, you really are able to identify more flavors. The vanilla comes out strong with the water. And I hate to say this, can you imagine this with like a tabak, the van- the vanilla coffee flavor, and then the. I would like to imagine that in about twenty minutes. <laughs> Water changes it. It does. It almost makes it. It almost makes it spicier. Water gives it a dry, better yep. note on the back end that I actually really like. And I know we people actually bit, people are like bitter. I'm like, yeah, no, I like it because you're old and bitter. Yes, <laughs> but we've but actually had some. No, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Just, we've had some retailers that we've tasted on it early in various markets that say that they think their Scotch audience would like this one a little. The, the, those folks that are, grew up on Scotch that are bridging into bourbon, not the PD Scotch people, but more kind of the right. McAllen. I I can see that because when you when you branch people over from Scotch, they always say start with like finished or toasted or not just straight. Urban, unless you're going to go like barrel proof and burn their palate out. But yeah. yeah, so this, I can see that being like a, yeah. a blended scotch almost. Yeah. I get that when they say that. Not that it tastes like a blended scotch, but it has similar character similar, notes, yeah. flavor notes. It's, it's dry on me. And I like that though. Like it, it it's it, a long finish. So, so basically it dried out and then the, the flavor is still like on the tip of my tongue. It doesn't have like the, I always say like juicy on like some of the finished barrels, but it has that dryness, like something that's been finished in a heavy wine barrel, like a drier wine. I, I like this. I'm I'm not yeah. going to even try to lie or like, I want to dive more into this. We were tasting some accounts on it today, selling in on bar level and restaurant level. And one of the gentlemen took it and made an old fashioned with it. 
he introduced no cherry into the product at all. He just did uh, orange and uh, peel and the cherry note, like stone fruit cherry that came out in the old fashioned when it was finished, it was unbelievable. And there was no cherry influence in it. It was just all imparting from the crossroads itself. So it makes a killer cocktail. We learned today as well. I'm going to make an old fashioned on this, but I use lemon mm, for my okay. old fashioned. I'm a little weird on that note, but love it. Is this the same mash bill as the other two? Is it a high, like 70% corn? Is it lower? Or? So this one actually on the first couple of batches of our Blue Note Crossroads, it's a MGP 36 rye base. No. Oh. Uh, four to five year old. Uh, that's all been, it's aged its entire duration in our Rick out or our warehouse in Memphis. We actually palletize all of our barrels. So Rick House would be misleading, but, uh, we do find that our climate here uh, dramatically changes whiskeys because we're a little warmer, a little higher humidity. And we're right by the river. It gets uh, hot in this. It's hot. Yeah. It's real hot summers too. How are the, I've never Hotter been in Memphis. Yeah. I've yeah. never been in Memphis in the wintertime. Does it get cool, cold or is it kind of like 40-ish, 50, 30, 40s? So we, they say during maturation that you need at least two to, to two and a half months of oxygenation those cold months, and we get that here. It does get cold typically throughout like the quote winter months. It's going to be in that forties range, but we do have around a month every year, typically January, February, depending on which year it is, where it does drop sub 40 most days. And so it gets down into the thirties and even twenties. That big Arctic blast that came through Texas came through here this past year. It got down to zero degrees and I think maybe even negative one. I think I woke up one wow. morning to, and so we do get just enough of the cold. Um, to have the influence on the whiskey, which you need, right? The heat's amazing for that extraction of color and flavor, but the oxygenation is so critical. And that's what our, what our friends, you know, in Texas and, uh, Florida or South Georgia lack. They got all the heat and humidity in certain areas, but they don't have those oxygenation months, which are so critical. Yeah. yeah. We've had that debate with a lot of people for Texas stuff because they say it ages twice, like two years. One year in Texas is equal to two years in Kentucky. I'm like, heat wise, but no. <laughs> yeah. Extraction. A, I said, they, I always say it's like a heartbeat. It's got, you got to have both sides. It's got to break. Right. You know, that's right. In and out, in and out. It'd be interesting to take some of that Texas whiskey after it's aged the first year or two down there and then take it into a colder climate where it could get a ton of oxygenation and see what happened to it. Yeah. But oxygenation is is no doubt just vital to to a whiskey. Yeah, I mean, I've got some Texas whiskeys I love, but they're. I will let you know this makes a killer Kentucky mule. I guess this would be a Tennessee mule, but this makes a killer. Well, they like some mules sometimes. Yeah. We call that the Memphis mule. Okay, I poured some ginger beer in there. Oh yeah, that makes it brings a different the ginger mixing in with that. That's a. That's another cocktail. The Memphis Mule is a good one for that one. So, <laughs> love it. That's good. I love it. See, I, if you go mixed drinks, it goes mules then old fashioned for me. For me, not yeah. for mule, but for me. So this is really not good. for mule. <laughs> for mule. Yeah. For mule, not for me. Um, well, so this one's uh, going to come in retail around the forty to forty-five dollar price point. Wow. For a toasted French oak barrel. Okay. Where? How many states is that going to be distributed in? Uh, we're launching in all of our states, um, Alabama. Sorry to those listeners there. It might take a little longer to get listed with the state ABC, but we're launching it in all of our markets. And Crossroads will be like a core skew. And one of the one of the design the, the ideas 
here is to bring that toasted French oak finish to um, a whole new audience um, that some of these really elusive, really highly allocated versions that you can't find and try to make it more of an everyday uh, accessible product to expand folks' palates. Well, you're all, for what you're all doing, because you're open about buying and bringing down. So a lot of people do that automatically jack their bottles to $100. Like, oh, yeah, I'm distilling and buying and aging. So $100. You all have a good price point. And a solid a killer price point for the product, too. Yeah. So that's going to help out. <clears throat> you were going to see that. It doesn't scare you away. Are you guys working on distilling on site? Yeah. The goal is to bring high production and high quality Tennessee whiskey at, you know, at large scale here to Memphis. Um, not necessarily the fancy showroom or bar or event center, but an actual production facility on the scale that y'all are familiar with in Kentucky. Um, we, we want to create jobs in our community. And then we think Memphis presents an ideal place for a large industrial distillery one day. It's still craft focus in terms of quality, mm-hmm. but our goal is to build these into national brands. And you've identified that our pricing is competitive uh, and compelling. Very competitive. And that's the, that's the goal is we view our competitors as the big national brands that we're, we all, all the craft brands are trying to gain market share from. And, uh, we, we want to be around for the long haul, right? And build a brand that folks can, can identify with and is approachable to, to all. And then yeah, the dream would be to build that big facility here in Memphis one day. We have a great water source and artesian well system a couple of miles below the city. Memphis actually has some of the purest drinking water in the world. Uh, and, wow. and, it's, and it's cheap too. So there's a lot of national breweries that produce their, all their East Coast production here silently in Memphis. Uh, because of that water source, and we think it would be ideal for making whiskey one day. So, long-winded answer of hopefully no, one good. day after we grow more. I, I do have one quick question though, because I've been wondering this when I read read your labels. Uh huh. Because you're Memphis-based, Tennessee, y'all. Is there a reason you chose to go with the bourbon name instead of the Tennessee whiskey name? Yep. I mean, the the idea right out of the gate was to be different from that. We do feel there's kind of one brand. Jack that kind of dominates the Tennessee whiskey market and the consumer perception of that product. And so by right out of the gate bourbon, we get a lot of questions like how can you make bourbon in Tennessee? Um, And so just being a little contrarian. And then of course it fits with the alliteration of our name, blue note bourbon and blue is works with branding. Um, Blue note, Tennessee whiskey would have sounded weird. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, one day we might come out with a, a proper Tennessee whiskey in terms of the Lincoln County process, et cetera. But but not yet. Um, but yeah, we, we like bourbons and of course they can be made right here in Tennessee too. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some good producers that'll like release some of their stuff and they'll just call it an American whiskey. Cause they don't want it to be compared to bourbon. Cause they know once you put that bourbon title on it, you're now put yourself in a ring with a bunch of big dogs. <laughs> you know, right. so, but I'm sorry. No, oh, these are good though. Go ahead. The rise out. The rye guy right. now as the comment. So this is a rye. It says, so this is a Tennessee, straight Tennessee whiskey, right? You all That's get this Tennessee from Tennessee rye whiskey. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So it's not from Kentucky. Okay. It's got some spice, like not like hot, like it burns me spice, but. Okay. I'm going to throw some, a curveball in there for I'm you. I'm going to say red hot. <laughs> I get apples. There's a ton of apple in that. It's yeah. get. I get a shit ton of apple. Okay. It, it tastes like an apple cider almost. Almost, like yes. Like, because there's yep. spice to it that I'm like, 
mom, if you ever decide to listen to the podcast a year and a half later, this is a nod to you. So my mom used to do this. <laughs> my mom used to it's, it's, I'm just going to show how we grew up. Okay. <laughs> my mom would take spicy like cinnamon apples and then she would melt red hots in them and stir it up. So it'd be like a spicy apple red hot. It was, it was meant for a dessert and we were poor, but, uh, <laughs> but this has so much similarities that cause it's got the cinnamon, the cinnamon spice. Paul said apples. Almost it's like candy. A, it's like a candy flavor to me. It's almost more, like an apple strudel, like that cinnamony kind of flavor to it. It it tastes more like a hard candy to me, almost. Yeah. Some of those we do single barrels of the River Set. So River Set features, you know, of course the you see that Mississippi River boat, the steamboat on oh, there. It's a beautiful bottle. Like the labels are uh, AJ's already dived onto, and Paul thinks it's in about too. The labels are beautiful. Yeah. Like, Thank you. I, I love the design. We go, sometimes we'll go into the bottles. The bottle's a classic, like, I don't know. It's like a classic bourbon bottle. You can yeah, see, you, yeah, you can see somebody really holding shape, it to it. It's yeah. got the bigger thing, the long neck and the, but then you get to the labels. Like this reminds me, it's almost like I'm going to say a riverboard, a riverboat ticket. Cause it's got the torn at the bottom. It's like somebody's boarding the riverboat. They tear it off. And then I got, I can't talk, but yeah, it's really, I really love the bottles. And that's got, what is that Johnson on it? Um, I didn't know that, that is was not, Robert Johnson. That is not Robert Johnson. Yeah. That is a ghost at the crossroads. We don't need anybody from yeah. Robert Johnson's estate. Calling that is not him. Robert. Yeah, that, is that, not, is not, that is not Robert Johnson. That looks a lot like AJ with a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. It could be anyone. It could be anyone at the crossroads. There's no face. Kelly, it looks like you a little bit. I was gonna say if it looks yeah. like me. Where's my money royalties? Hold on, I don't have a big estate or anything. But yeah, I'm stealing the show. So Kelly's got to answer some questions here too. I don't want to do all the talking. Kelly, which one's your favorite uh, of all four of these? Right now, Crossroads. I'm really leaning into it. It's so good, and it just every time I taste it, it's got like I, I just feel like I get a different layer of flavor depth to it and then today having it in a cocktail which i would have never thought to put this in a cocktail because it's so good on its own but some folks are going to want it that way it was really good so oh, right now a, it's definitely crossroads I'm, sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you there you're fine uh we have a little saying though if you're not willing to drink it straight why would you put it in a cocktail yeah it doesn't matter if it's if it if you can't drink it straight then i don't want to hear that it's a good mixer yeah so that's that's my like if it's good, it's going to be good in the mixture because it brings all the flavors out. Yeah, and that's why we pride ourselves on the Blue Note Juke Joint because it is at that price point. A lot of folks think you would just bury that product in a cocktail, but you don't need to. It's it's a well enough done product that it's great as a as a sipper as well. So, yeah, we make sure all our anything we're putting out, we would drink um, by itself. And then just to put it in a cocktail, you add a level of enhancement is all. So what, what do you think changed for you? Cause you said you were a, te- a tequila person. Like what, I know you said a bad experience, but what, what changed bad experience with bourbon? Oh, bad experience. Sorry. Sorry. Bad experience with bourbon wild turkey one one. my fault. I was getting it a little mixed up, but what do you think changed your perception of that? And now, cause obviously you're talking about the whiskey being and you're drinking it neat and then you're putting it in a cocktail. How did that happen? Because most people would just be like, I'm not going to go try that spirit again. 
Yeah. It was kind of learning how to drink it first and foremost, because, you know, being younger, it was always Jack and Coke or beam and Coke, which don't get me wrong. It's, it's fine, but it's just a sugar bomb. Yeah. And just not my thing. So once I started to, and the other thing I was very opposed to a rye product. So when Riverset was presented to me and I was going to have to sell it, I was like, I don't even want to drink rye. And then I gave it a chance and I was like, this is freaking good. And I learned how I like to drink it. So like the river set at first, I would do that in a little Topo Chico, just sparkling mineral water. And it opened it up. And now it's like, you can just drink it straight. And I think I also learned um, by studying some of the mash bills and just some of the different producers out there that, you know, I like um, a high corn versus a high rye or, you know, less of the malted barley. So I've just learned kind of what my palate goes to. And then, um, you know, obviously like the Staven thief stuff, it taught me a little bit of identifying the flavor or the note I'm picking up, you know, cause it's like, I'm picking up something. What is it? Oh, it's a clove or something like that. So I think a lot of it was just educating myself to be honest. And then, um, Obviously, like Macaulay said, the history side of it, you know, he recommended some great books and you wouldn't think you're going to learn so much about something that you're consuming through a book. But it's it's been amazing to learn the history behind it and, you know, truly why it is America's unique spirit and stuff. So it's just it's added a different, I think, appreciation and value to it that I never thought of before. I just thought it was a shooter or, you know, you have this easy drink here. So it's just a level of appreciation that I never had. What's it, take, even, to get, what's it take to get this in an uncut? So we do, <laughs> we do that as well. We do the river set rye uncut single barrels as well. The black label, uh, black and gold. Is that in Kentucky yet? None of our products are in the state of Kentucky yet. We do, we do plan on coming up there soon. <laughs> oh, um, Ohio. N- not in Ohio yet. Are killing me, Smalls? <laughs> we do have online retailers that do help in some of those markets through Sealbox and Curiata. So they've helped fill a little bit of a distribution void to some of those West Coast states and then some of the Midwest as well. Kentucky has strict laws on that. Hey, we're we're trying to come to Kentucky soon, but we figured we needed to kind of really build our brand before we try to come up there. And being from Tennessee and all, we wanted to make sure we we were able to compete. <laughs> <laughs> from what I've had tonight and from what I've tasted, there are some strong foundation built on this whiskey. You all have got the right flavors, the price points. I can, I can just taste. I'd like yeah. to see what this is going to be in a few years because you all keep on growing. From what I've tasted, it's just like, this is really good. Yeah, and like yeah. this one right here, like the, I, I grew up in a small town. And everyone had their the rye, uh, the river set. I grew up in a small town. There's a little orchard, Reed's Orchard. They do... Uh, apple cider slushies and we would sometimes get the apple cider slushy drink a little bit and then you pour a little bit and then make your own cocktail there and this is what this is reminding me of i was like i need a i need an uncut unfiltered of this yeah, there's some strong there's some strong place. likes here especially that crossroads that's i like to dabble more in that there's some flavors i didn't get that i how many different SKUs do y'all have in total? Because I, I know I've seen a couple different, like your 17 years and some other. It's it's not found its way to the front porch yet, though. Like, that's the only one that, like, I really was like, hey, that needs to find its way here. Can't so, send it out. <laughs> what, Kelly, there's six? Six different? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, a, that's a lot. Which, what, are, what are the other two, the 17-year and then the uncut, unfiltered? 
Uh, rye. Uh, I was saying there's about seven of the bourbons and then what, two, two of the ryes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a big, it's a big like lineup said, from the marketing point of view. I mean, you're, you're, you set yourself apart, but in a good way where you're not coming up here and people think you're trying to imitate Kentucky bourbon. Yeah. And you're proudly your own thing. What's next? Like, give us an idea of what's next for the brand. Like, wh- I, I know you guys are expanding into different states. Where do you see this in the next year to two years? Well, it's really exciting. So the crossroads is kind of what's next, right? Still are tasting it before it's come out. So we're really excited to see the market reception on that product. Uh, we are exploring with uh, exotic barrel finishes uh, and we'll be coming out with uh, some LTOs, some limited time offerings there with uh, everything from uh, port sherry, cognac, honey barrels, vino de naranja, tokai, chardonnay, uh, malbec. Yeah, and honey barrel. We got a bunch of them that we're playing around with and we're going to just kind of drop those in various markets with our distributor partners and see what happens. Um, and then the winners will, will replicate more. The honey, the honey barrel is actually a finish on the rye whiskey. Something to do a little different, which is really nice. So good. <laughs> okay. Oh God. Just, oh my God. Wait a minute. A honey rye. I think it's JC so was about to say, I love you, but so can we do another podcast on the honey rye alone? Like that's it's like, killer. I'm not a big person into liqueurs and like stuff like that. Like with the, but the honey's kind of like, I like, I like the honey whiskeys. I've never seen anyone do a rye finished, but a rye. So with, with that rye that has that apple spice and then you want to do some honey on top of it. Apple. It's killer. That's like a cocktail in a bottle. Without being a cocktail. It's killer. And then I don't know if y'all have had any of the vino de naranja stuff yet, which is the orange sweet wine from Southern Spain. I it's have not. AJ wild. might have. He AJ likes to dabble in the weirder yeah. stuff. <laughs> I, I've never had any of that. But I'm on Tuesday. I'm in all kinds of different spirits. Like I have my tea. Like if we weren't doing this, I'd be sitting at uh, Green Lantern doing Tiki Tuesday, um, <laughs> where they do tiki cocktails and all this. So I'm definitely into diving into all things. Yeah, I've never had any of that. Um, but. Just playing around with it. So we got we have uh, a handful of those barrels imported from Spain. It's just it's a it's a dessert wine made with oranges, orange peels from Seville or Sevilla. I guess um, really I'm unique. Sorry. And we're just we're just experimenting, right? And gonna and gonna continue doing that and uh, do some more releases there. But just I guess just to answer your actual question, uh, hopefully we are scaling. We've signed a national distribution agreement with RNDC uh, that will only impact our new markets, none of our current markets, but. They'll be our national distributing partner out west and up towards y'all. Um, and our goal, hopefully by 2025, is to have our Blue Note products as well as Riverset, you know, as national brands. Now, if that means all 50, I don't know, but whatever the critical mass is to consider yourself a national brand, that's the goal. JC just wants it to be nationally in his uh, whiskey room with the honey <laughs> rye. <laughs> But the fun I, thing I want is that foolproof to... rye too now. Like that's... Yeah, I have another place to stop them in Memphis, like yep, halfway <laughs> through to Dallas. So... Kelly's come like, on. Uh-huh. Got y'all assholes to come down to Memphis now, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm a... It's not a convincing me to go to Memphis. Rye. I'll be there in a heartbeat. I love everything about Memphis. But we're going to continue doing like all the fun one offs. It's a way for us to put out fun stuff that we like 
it also, you know, candidly helps keep our brand relevant by just oh, doing sure, yeah. new stuff, more and yeah. more uh, new stuff. Um, but that's not the core of what, like, you know, some, some folks, some newer folks are coming out where that's kind of all they do is just all these crazy one-offs, which are great and fun, but there's no actual backbone or core and consistency to it. And we do feel that to build a brand, uh, consistency, quality control is necessary for longevity. Um, yeah, those are money it. grabs what they're doing. Yeah. Which is great. And we do some of that too. Like we had our 17 year, you know, which is not, not a money grab, but it's the limited time thing. Once done, it's done. Um, and it was just too good not to, not to put out. Right. Um, but, but what y'all have on your table in front of you is kind of the core the backbone that we're trying to grow. Well, what I meant by, what I meant by money grabs, you all are building a base and you're saying other people who are yeah. just, they're just, all they're doing is special release after special release. Yeah. So they're trying to just do like, all right, we're going to capitalize on the bourbon boom. And when it fades away, we're just going to fade away. You are like, no, we're yeah. building a base here and then we're going to play around. Like it, yeah. it sounds like a horrible job. I get to play around with whiskeys and strange mm-hmm. barrels and taste them all day. That's man. Oh no. All you get to do is I don't know. whiskey. I don't know why you quit being a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, um, today we had our New York distributor. And so I actually got to taste some barrels. Most days are spent behind the computer, looking yeah. at spreadsheets and contracts and <laughs> on the phone with sales teams, putting in place new sales strategies. And some days it actually is real work, believe it or not. Um, and it's, it's difficult building a brand. I mean, I appreciate the kind words uh, and Kelly's obviously done a killer job online, but um, trying to stand out and what it's definitely a, becoming a very crowded market is difficult. And, like I said, we don't have the huge budget. We invest all of our money into the product and our whole marketing strategy is focused on gatekeepers. So whether y'all are influencer educators, y'all are gatekeepers to other people that are into whiskey. So we focus on y'all and then our retail partners. So all of our pricing uh, and sales support is designed to get uh, the retailers behind us so that they can hopefully turn on their customers and somebody says, Hey, my father-in-law's into whiskey or I'm getting in something from my buddy. I don't know what should I get. You know, we want the retailer buy-in too. And that's the double whammy. If we can have y'all supporting us online and over, you know, over the podcast waves and then our retail partners there at the point of sale, that's how you build a brand. And whiskey brands are built certainly from the bottom up, not like some of the old vodka brands of 20 years ago, the early 2000s that were top-down approaches, celebrity endorsed. You know, huge arena sponsorships and festival sponsorships. That's not how this, that's not how the spirit works. You know, this is a bottoms up kind of grassroots organic thing. And that's what, that's how we're approaching it. Well, I, I think you guys are unique in the aspect too that, <clears throat> excuse me, that you guys have seen social media and went after it deliberately because I think too often there's some brands out there that try and fill a quota of, we're going to get some people on. We're going to do some podcasts. We're going to get our brand out there and we're going to, you know, hit a couple numbers that we need to. Whereas you guys are using this as almost like a sales force that you don't have to pay. Um, so I'll expect my, uh, my, uh, 1099 in the mail. Um, you but that you don't have to pay. It's a 1099 <laughs> contract. Um, so, but like it's really, it's really genius because it, it is the new wave of, of, of bourbon and whiskey, especially in, in America and this boom of, of people going out there. And it's really funny. You want to see something interesting, go out and knock, knock something and watch the pros and the cons come at you back and forth. We don't usually, we don't do that. That's not about, not what we do, but 
kudos to you all for actually identifying that and doing that because I think you guys have maximized it in creating a buzz around your brand um, where people who don't even see the bottle are like, I want that bottle because I'm seeing it around. Now I, now I need it. Um, and there's been countless people since we announced that you guys were coming on the show who are sending us like pictures, like I found one, look, I got one. And, uh, and it's really cool in that aspect. So we're really excited to, to get this in Kentucky too, where we can actually get it. Um, and, uh, and not go, Hey Kelly, can you send me more booze? Um, <laughs> which works too, which works too, probably, but like, it, it's really good. Um, you guys are doing a phenomenal job and, you know, we really appreciate you guys coming on and, and sending us stuff and letting us try it. And, uh, we're really excited to see where this goes in the future. And you need to take it full circle, just like you were studying back in law school. Just put a bottle there when you're crunching those numbers. Just look at it like studying. Start that tradition back. <laughs> yeah. That way you can still enjoy it. <laughs> That's right. And you know, one thing I like to emphasize when we talk to folks, too, um, you know, we are a small business at the end of the day. We employ full-time 22 people whose paychecks and livelihoods depend upon the success of our business. So, this isn't um, a get rich quick scheme or a money grab by any means. I mean, these are real people and every bottle really means uh, something that everyone buys. And it's kind of one bottle, one case, one handshake, one cocktail at a time. And, and the fact that y'all let us come on your show uh, means the world to us. Cause you know, we couldn't get the word out there without, without things like this. And y'all are the gatekeepers. Like Kelly said, the new fourth tier. And it's, it's awesome to be y'all's positive reviews and thank you for your support. Yeah, no, anytime you guys have new stuff, just let us know. We definitely uh, selfishly would love to try it and have you on and talk about it and everything. So, and I like that. Y'all have developed a, quite of a I, I following. Think, I know you guys, are what you said about Kentucky, but I think you guys would be do very well here. Yeah. Because there is a very deep undercurrent that is looking at expanding into new things. I think and they I would think do that, well here because – they're honest and open about what they're doing and it's a solid product. Well, and, and the, yeah. and the craft, the craft wave is coming and it's getting higher and higher and higher. You, the, the, the big five, you're never going to get rid of. Right. But people are getting tired of, and it's not a knock on their brand. It's a knock on the secondary market and what the secondary market's <laughs> done to whiskey that people are just getting tired of like, Oh, that's, you know, $600. It's a $50 bottle of whiskey. Are you kidding me? You want $400 for it? People are starting to go in and find, hey, I can have something that's that good and I don't have to pay for it, but the label looks different, so I don't care. Other people might, but I don't. And that's what's real interesting. I think you guys are doing a really good job of. Yeah. And to kind of try on to that, you know, being so customer and consumer facing that 30 to $50 price point that folks are used to shopping is shrinking and shrinking by the Mm -hmm. day. So to still fit quality in that and the quality is shrinking. Yes, exactly. And so to be able to still fit most of our products within that margin is huge. And that's one of the biggest compliments I think we get to our brand is that is is so accessible. And, you know, Macaulay has kind of really fostered this price relative to value that we put into our products and, and the quality is there and the value is there at these price points. And um, it's really, I think, making a difference to getting bottles in folks' hands that might not um, normally be able to get it. So I think that's a huge, uh, a huge thing that's helping us get more product across as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Kelly McCauley, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. This has been great. Everybody, I think, has enjoyed everything that they've had. So 
Um, we're really looking forward to what you guys do over the next couple of years. Give a shout out to where everybody can find you on uh, all the uh, good social medias. Yeah, give us a follow at Blue Note Bourbon and at River Set Rye. Thank you all. Yeah, Cheers. thanks so much, everyone. Thank you. And uh, remember, Bourbon with Friends can change the world. That's it for this episode of Bourbon with Friends. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, leave us a review to make it easier for others to find the show. You can also check us out on Instagram at BWF Podcast. Thanks for listening.